Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octanon Verba, we hear part two of my interview with Tom Shea, retired Navy SEAL and founder of Unbreakable Leadership. In part one, Tom discussed how enduring adversity helps us find better parts of ourselves and how you can recognize those illuminating moments as they happen. We also explored why having nothing to do is detrimental to your success, how leading others through chaos makes you a better leader, and what to do when you feel like giving up. You can hear part one on episode 67 of Octanon Verba. And now part two of my interview with the unbreakable Tom Shea. There was a, a thing that you said where it says, um, during the hardships, you shouldn't be asking why. When we're in the heat of it, you shouldn't be asking why. And you were saying, because by asking why, what does it make us do? It makes us give reasons to quit. It makes us question if we can keep going. Yeah, the first time I came up with that, I don't know if I came up with it. Uh, some other mentors and dudes, uh, some chiefs that were, you know, really great men actually taught it. So all choices are made before you go out on the mission. Hmm. Who are you going to shoot? What you're going to shoot? Who's going to do the shooting? What the conflicts may be? Okay, there may be a woman. What if there's a woman between uh, the shoot target? And, uh, uh, okay, you've already decided. You've already made all these things. So when you're out in the middle of it, whether it be a football game, whether it be combat, whether it be stuff you're doing with your you should have already thought of all these considerations. In the middle of difficulty is not the time to have nobility. You know what I mean? We're going to choose the moral high ground and not, not do that. Half your guys just died. The moment a leader chooses nobility, half you can guarantee half his crew is dying. It's just we're going to leave them behind. Duh, that's a noble thing. Uh, an operator would go, I'm, I'm, I can't, I can't go home. I'd rather not go home because now I have to live with that forever. And uh, so, the making it's also the equivalent that everybody listening uh, would understand it uniquely better if I said it this way is never make a decision at the bottom of the hill to go up the hill. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because at the bottom, you're like, oh, hell no. Hell no. Look at that big thing. Make the decision at the top of the hill to do it again. You can say no once you've done it, but don't make it in the middle. And when you're in the middle of the hill, never ask why you're doing it. Gosh, why am I doing this? I just stubbed my toe. I fell. I broke my finger. It's sideways. I'm puking. If you ask why then, you're going to sit there forever with no answer. So you already made the decision a long time ago. When you're in the middle of it, just make it to the end. Even if it's dirty, you're sideways when you slide in or you go to hospital, make it to the end and then make your decision in safety, not in the middle of anything. But everybody makes, 
everybody's different than that. So TV, if you watch TV, it's asking why in the middle of stuff. Like even two, a couple having sex, you hear this devil in this guy's head. Well, dude, why am I doing this? Dude, you're teaching people the wrong thing to do. You're in the middle of it. Just do it. At the end of it, make the, make the choice again. And like, again, never make the decision at the bottom of the hill. Love that. It's like, we don't let seals stop at the bottom of the hill. You have to, you have to never stop in the valley. So if you're going to hike and you have to go down into a valley back up, and we learned this from uh, rangers because they did a lot more hiking than we did. If you stop in the bottom, you're going to be there for another 30 minutes. So stop halfway down and then make it up to the halfway mark again and then stop. But it's we never thought that was true. And we we're like, yeah, we're better than you guys. We would stop at the bottom. And okay, it's a half an hour longer than our normal stop because guys just thought, they're looking at God, I don't want to do this, man. Even if you're in shape, you look up and go, oh, hell no, I don't want to do this. And you're debating your why, you know, muscle. So that's why I don't play a lot of credence to the, to the why conversation. So easy to, like you said, it's easy for us to negotiate in our mind and to lie to ourselves. And like you said, that ruck feels a lot heavier at the bottom of the hill than it does at this, right? It's like, oh, totally. did somebody put 50 pounds in my ruck when I wasn't looking? What's going on? <laughs> and they probably did <laughs> extra rocks in there extra yep. rocks at the bottom and that's what i find too when you'll have people that will they'll say hey i want to write a book i want to start a business i'm going to do this and they're spending all this time trying to create the plan but then when it comes to starting executing the reason why they ask that question to me or to you or whomever is because they want us to say here's the tactic to get around this hardship but the reality is like like frost says the best way out is through that's the only way out you have to engage in this. You have to willfully continue to engage in this until you are through it. Not when you're tired, not when it's convenient. Mm-hmm. You have to keep going forward. And that's why, again, people that have MBAs, they, it looks great on paper, but can they build a business plan? If you want to get a real world MBA, uh, write a book, create a course, do what you're doing, teach people, do something, figure out the logistics, build a team, and then do it again and again and get to a place where it actually creates money. That's what an MBA should be teaching you as opposed to being able to do a lot of research, write a nice paper, maybe or maybe not hit a deadline to get it in there and get the grade. Yeah, the and I'm, I'm just not a big fan with the current uh, esoteric teaching, oh, like the MBA, yeah. the PhD and stuff. It, it meant well, but experience always shows that everything works on paper. Every football play works on paper. <laughs> But the you know good teams score three four times, and they run multiple hundreds of plays just to score three times. But that play was supposed to work. The problem is the people. The people are the big issue. So the football analogy is the greatest analogy in business. Is it's all supposed to work every time, but the people are the problem. The people are the issue in business. The problem is the people. So how do you get the people to do simple shit? How do you get them to? work? How do you get them to have courage? How do you get them to transact? How do you get a scared salesman to sell? With the phenomenon of that is that you've heard this hundred hundreds of times. If you haven't, maybe this is the first one. Most salespeople don't ask for the sale. From a boss's point of view, asshole, I hired you to sell. I don't care if you're having a relationship with the client. I 
you know, I'm relationship building. <laughs> okay, we're trying to sell a product here. I hired you to do something. If I wanted you to be relationship building, I would put you in a different department. But I, I need you to go transact stuff. Maybe there is relationships. Maybe I have a pathway to that is, you know, you have coffee with somebody and then you have a transactional conversation. But during that conversation, make it very clear, you're here to engage in this selling. Like, don't be. So, dude, you're, you're killing yourself. Everybody does the same thing. Whether it's they don't do what they say they're going to do, they whitewash it. Salespeople are selling stuff. You have to be selling. And people expect you to do that. They know that you're going to sell me a widget. I can say yes, no, or maybe. You know what I mean? And then the the running of a company then becomes, you know, the, the PhD trying to run a company is you try to orchestrate it. Okay, you need this vertical. You need this chain of command. You have this person doing this. And I need an executive assistant. So everything's cost. During startup, everything's a cost. If you're an entrepreneur, you can't have that. You have to have revenue first, and then you bring on people. So the the master's model comes in and goes, well, you know, if you had this and this, okay, dude, that would have cost me $150,000 a year. I had to get to $300,000 first. But if you'd had that model, the model don't work. None of them work at inception. They work once there's revenue at a certain level or product at a certain level. And having been a part of several investments in companies and turn turnovers and working with some private equity and some venture capital people. The whole mindsets are always different. Venture capital is risk. Private equity is not risk. It's they they invest in company that the people are screwed up, but the product's good, and they just X the people. We're going to make the people better. And what I've been able to do with the private equity stuff is come in and help them with their people so they don't have to fire them. Because everybody can learn if they're willing to. Most don't know what they're doing. Most people in the business don't really know what their responsibilities are. And so they're trying to be compensated for something that they're not supposed to be. Why are you doing that? <laughs> why do you work nine hours? I don't know why you're working nine hours. Why do you, you work four? You can work four hour a day. I'm supposed to be here. Who said you were supposed to be here? The boss only cares about these numbers. Well, it's a numbers game. It's got to be a numbers game. Not a relationship game. It's a numbers game. He's relating to you so that you produce numbers. Why do people fight that? In the SEAL teams, you have 22 positions, right? Or there may be, when I had a platoon, it was 22-man platoon. Everybody had a job and then a secondary job to support somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's what you're there to do. So if you're a sniper... And you're helping this monkey over here. Are you doing your job? I'm best way to support teams. I do my job and I ask for help. You do your job and you ask for help. Don't spend all your time doing something that you're not paid to do. So you go into a business and you just ask, do a bunch of interviews. You realize you can get rid of half the people in the business and produce the same outcome. But everybody's emotionally attached to doing the wrong thing. I don't know how we got on that subject, but just it enamors me with how silly people well, are. And like you're saying, if you have the person that 
the common entrepreneur, like you said, they don't have a quarter of a million in capital or seed money to, to start with. They're having to be the CEO, COO, CFO, sales. They're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And again, if you have an MBA that's like, oh, you need a CFO to do this or a person that does marketing. Again, I can't afford that. I'm just, and most CEOs come from a place that they create a product or a service and it gets to where it succeeds. They get traction. Now they have to build a team quickly to hit the demand, but they never put themselves into that CO mentality of, of leading, right? Yes. They're like, well, I'm just still part of the team. Yep. You know, I'm just the part of the, one of the guys that's doing this with them. And because they can't bring their head up, they can't see where the next target should be or where the target of opportunity presents itself. That's, that's a fact. So in the teams, the phenomenon of leadership is you're leading and head down, building the team in training in peacetime in war. Your head's up and you're not doing that anymore. So you're not on your gun. You happen to carry a gun, but if you shoot it, you're doing wrong. Uh, you're keeping the people doing what you've trained them to do. And that transition from being an operator to a leader is what entrepreneurs and most leaders in business don't transition. Because it's easier for the boss to do everything. Like I know how that works. So I have to train you, spend an, an extra month of my time getting you to do that. That's training. Train this guy to do that. Train that girl to do that. And then start executing. Let them execute and stop doing it for them. That is where businesses fail. And uh, like that's the historic transition point where failure happens. Absolutely agree. And I see so many times where it's also a, a power thing. Like to take my hands off the wheel and say, listen, this person is trained to be a CFO. They actually know more about this than I do. I need to take my hands off the wheel, let them do what they're supposed to be doing. But again, if they're trying to micromanage, and we've seen officers in the military that do that, where they don't know what else to do, so they want to micromanage the enlisted person because that makes them feel like they know what they're doing. But as a leader, again, we should be trying to look at all these other areas. And again, like you're saying, improve every day. Not trying to learn a bunch of stuff that's not going to serve us, but learn something and then put the reps in so that we can start to put that into play into everything that we're doing as opposed to being upset that this person, if we become the bottleneck, it's impossible for us to scale. And all these companies where they have these bottlenecks of these CEOs or these leaders, when they're scaling, they're just scaling the cancerous parts of it, as opposed to scaling the part that they really want to create. And now that just becomes even more overwhelming. Yeah, the uh, like if anybody, like literally the answer to this, I'm not, it's probably already been articulated somewhere in the world. Uh, four of us found, because uh, we're helping leaders turn businesses around or start them. And so long process boiled down to this. The transition point is passing on leadership to somebody else or authority, responsibility, and whatever to somebody else. Everybody knows to do that. That's not the hard part. The hard part is that person that you passed it to now has to own it with passion. They have to take the passion from you. If they don't take it from you is where you start micromanaging it. And so that's what is not being discussed anywhere. So how do I get somebody that didn't build the company to take over operations of the company? I can teach them the, the details, turn the light on, you know, hit that button, whatever the running, the function of it is, but they don't own it regarding the emotional attachment to making it work. 
teaching people to begin to develop that is where the that allows the leader to work for three hours then. Leader just comes in, has a bunch of meetings where he's he or she's needed and leaves. If a boss is there for 12 hours, the company is dysfunctional. Or the idiot is having issues at home that he can't go home for. So either way, it shows dysfunction. A three-hour workday is what great leaders do. Three hours. If you're doing more than that, your company is, is really stale or they don't have the passion for the position. So in the SEAL teams, if you have the passion for the position, you're out. So without being looked at, are you going to do this on your own? Are you going to work on it on your own? Or do you have to be told to do everything? So that micromanagement being told is really the transition point. And it can be learned, but you have to let this guy fail. I want you to fail a bunch of times. And if he needs a reward, to give him a reward. Give her a reward. All right, here's your CFO. It could be receptionist. The receptionist has to own that position. You have to be warm, welcoming, genuine, love the business, know the business, be able to talk about it, not just sit there. So if you make a big difference to a business by having a passionate receptionist, like 4% more revenue because that person owns the business. Nobody thinks about that. If everybody doesn't own it, then nobody owns it. Like you haven't empowered this person to win. So let's get them in on board. A pretty receptionist is okay, but they have to be the, the gatekeeper of the whole business. And when that happens, the biz, the boss is like, wow, there's no drama because it's all being caught there. Like you, somebody saying, treating you nicely. Here's a, here's water. Here's coffee, all that. And oh, I knew that you were going to come. We've talked a lot about you, all that bullshit that they could say. If they don't, there's not going to be a transaction. And uh, so the whole organization has to develop the passion for what they're there for, which goes back to the original one. If you're not doing what you want to do or value doing, that passion doesn't is not going to happen. Therefore, you're going to be micromanaged. Therefore, you're going to feel like you're not making a difference. So it's a simple thing. Teach people their job and then empower the passion for the job. You're never going to have to ask them to work. Well, and like you said, when that person comes in, you can look at their CV or their resume all day, but you can see what that passion is at the beginning. And once they have that passion and they love the culture and they're a good fit, you can teach them any skill pretty much. It, it's something that they can acquire. Well, so I, I, that's the, you can't hire passion. That's, that was the old theory. Yeah. Hire character was that. So hiring character. Yeah, yeah. It didn't work because the character existed in the other paradigm of the, the other business that they were working in. And if it's not here, they will lose it very mm-hmm. quickly. So that place smelled like roses. This smells like, you know, toilet bowl water. Because the culture isn't developed yet. So you got to make sure everybody knows the ins and out of the business first. Give them a skill that they can do. Teach them the skill that they can actually move the business. And then tertiary to that is teach passion. Now that it's yours, own this shit. Don't call me up. You own this position. And they're like, okay, I can do that. Once that happens, that's a massive thing. But if you hire for, hey, they were passionate about that job, they must be that here. That it's not that it doesn't 
If you're hired for character, you're going to fail. Teach them a skill. Hire for skill that you're going to teach. Then you do that slowly. Teach skill, then teach passion. And then if it doesn't work, exit. Exit the person. And that happens in a training program. Like if you go into an organization, make sure that they're not hired immediately. It's a transient position. Meaning it's temporary until you earn your way. If you hired a salary, you're, you're going to kill your business because they're never going to learn. So earn your position in the business. Every company that does that wins. It's just risky because everybody on the outside goes, what do you mean? I'm not going to get $150,000 salary. I'll pay you monthly through training the equivalent. So I'll give you 10,000 a month, but that's, 10000 a month or three months, you make it through training, then you hire, you get hired into the position and 25% of revenue or whatever the hell it is, whatever it's going to be, you know. And but salaries, uh, not that you ask, but salaries are the most dysfunctional thing you can do to a business because there's no reason to produce value for the company. And then now society, government wants you to have a salary. Because it makes sure the business gets stale. It's a terrible phenomenon. Yeah. And entrepreneurs never have salary. You ever notice that? <laughs> got to go kill it and bring it back. I don't yeah, know what I'm going to get until I go get it. I'm either eating because I go kill animals or I'm not. And the amount of money that you can have when you do that is way far more than $150,000, $200,000 a year. And then you're looking at, wow, I didn't get, make anything for three months and then I made $700,000. Well, chill the hell out. You know, do what you like to do more than anything else. And the money always follows because you'll find a way. And and you'll never receive accolades or financial rewards until that's no longer what the objective is. It's the objective is this, yep. like you said, these reps, this, this keep going in this direction because you value it because it actually means something to you. And then the money meets yep. you on the way. Yep. Yeah, chasing abstracts uh, is a, a terrible psyche thing for humans. Finding what you value to do and Okay, I'm going to see if I can get this to work. Okay, get it to work. I didn't charge enough. Good, charge more the next time. Hone your craft and perfect it. Charge more. Get somebody else to do it. That's really what business was supposed to be. Uh, and it'll come back to that after the civil unrest happens. <laughs> I agree. And that's, and that's what's going on. All the people that I know that are incredibly strong, that are resilient physically, mentally, emotionally, they've gone through hardship. There's a direct correlation to how much adversity they hit, accept, and overcome, and their success lots of times. And you have a, a huge history of overcoming things. Was there a hardship or an adversity that you faced that at the time you didn't know if you could get through it? But once you pushed through and got to the other side, you were like, there were so many gifts in this adversity. I never would have seen it any other way. Uh, the first one, the virgin one. I think everybody's virgin hardship is the one that's the most educational. I uh, was a really good football player. I still pretty smart. So I got uh, recruited to play football uh, at Tennessee and I turned it down to go Mm -hmm. to West Point. So I, my dad was a West Point grad. My daughter is now graduated from there. Nice. And uh, some other relatives a long time ago graduated. So I want to go to West Point. And I'm there for three years and I failed out in English. Literally because I gave up on myself. 
biggest learning lesson is I got down on a lot of things in the process of getting down. You produce down shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? A depressed oh, yeah. human does the things necessary to prove that out. So I ended up failing out, coming back home with my tail between my legs. What am I going to do? And my mom and dad didn't judge it as a bad thing. They're like, okay, you get two months to kind of recover. Then the question was, now that you're at the bottom, what do you want to do? It can't get worse. I'm like, well, I always wanted to be a SEAL. And dad's like, no, nah, I'm not going to let you go do that because it's too hard because you'll fail again. And so I paid attention to it. So I'm like, what? Do, okay, what's the second choice? I always wanted to be a canoeing and fishing guide. So I'm like, I'm going to go do that. So I went up to Canada and was a canoeing and fishing guide for about eight months. And I found out then I was really interested in being a SEAL. Because I every night I'm like, you know what, I want to go be a SEAL. I didn't get my soldiering done. And that represented to me the 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 hardest and best thing that I could do. Just didn't make any sense to any other human being. And it was one of the great learning lessons. It shouldn't make any sense to anybody else. Your passion, your commitment should not make sense to anybody but you. And if you can't get rid of it, uh, you try to throw it away and it comes back, do it. And so I signed up for the SEAL teams. And then it didn't work out easily there either. I, I, I made it to BUDS in class 195 and was in four hell weeks in a row and got injured in four hell weeks. Four hell weeks? And uh, I got kicked out of the program and I was gone for nine months. And in the every day during the nine months I was working at the hospital as a corpsman, I went to the admiral's office and asked him to sign me signed my chit to send me back and I got demoted because he ordered me never to come back. So I came back the next day for another three months and he walked out eventually. Finally, it was supposed to be two years. He walked out, signed it and said, either this was meant to be, or you're the dumbest human being that I've ever met. And uh, so I made it back to my fifth class and uh, made it through. We started out with 111, graduated 11. And I don't look at it as adversity. I look at it as that if you stop negotiating with yourself, you either die or you succeed. And so I started living a black and white life and uh, it didn't make sense to anybody. And uh, But it works. If you're not willing to give up, a lot of great things happen that were not going to happen. Yeah, a man can only be beaten by two ways if he gives up or dies, right? Yeah, by himself or by quitting. <laughs> or death. Yeah. Man, that's incredible. Four hell weeks. So we see people that are in positions where maybe they don't come from the best background. Maybe they have like abuse in their life, alcoholism, something like that. And some people use that as a catalyst to get better, to get away from it, to, to, to grow stronger. But other people stay there. What is it that makes some people just stay there, like the people that you were talking about before that just like to stay sort of pacified and, and safe? Can that person eventually get to that place where they say, I want to go out and do some hard shit and get stronger and get better? Or do they always just sort of stay there? Because I see so many people that make that it's choice. All, it's yeah. a choice. So there's nothing genetically predisposing anybody to any, an action. So you're not genetically born to do anything. You have to force yourself to breathe by force of will. Like it's not genetics that do anything. 
You're not genetically heterosexual or homosexual. Come on, y'all. It's an action that you choose to do in your life, depending on your circumstances. The truth is you have to want to do something. Until that happens, you ain't going to do it. So if you're down and out because you're a drug addict, you chose that. Your mama didn't do it. Your daddy didn't do it. Your black didn't do it. Your Hispanic didn't do it. Where you're born didn't do it. Your genetics didn't do it. That's a choice that you have to fight your way out of it. It doesn't mean I can choose to be a pro basketball player. You know what I mean? You choose your actions and your actions determine your outcomes. So start moving. I don't have any education on it. doesn't matter. Commit. So the commit before knowing is the other part of success. You better be committed, which means I'm not going to quit. So be committed and quit before you know the solution and then never give up until you're dead or you arrive or you pick something else, whatever the case is. But the, the key are those two foundational principles. And the other part of it, as SEAL instructors would tell you this, nobody gives a shit. Nobody gives a shit about your past. You were beat up. You were raped. Okay, cool. Nobody cares. What are you going to do right now today? Well, I, I can't do any more push-ups. Try. Do some more. Like in SEAL training, do more. I can't do any more. The instructor goes, shut your mouth. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and get down there. Nobody cares if you can do more, but you're not doing push-ups. Get down in that position and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. I'm freezing cold. The water's cold. So what? Nobody cares. My wife won't let me be a SEAL, which people figure this out in Hell Week during surf torture is they say that my <laughs> wife won't sudden. help me. Dude, it's because <laughs> it's freezing. So the, the key is, literally the key is, all that stuff that's preventing you from being the best version of yourself, disregard it. Nobody cares about it. Your excuses don't matter. What do you want to do? And then go do that. So whatever that is, go do that. I'm too old. Doesn't matter. Figure it out. I'm, I'm druggy. I uh, am a convict. Uh, I killed somebody. Cool. Get over it. Clean it up and move on to something that you really want to do, whatever that is. And the first time you got to make that choice is 18. And the second one is 35. Because whatever you make at 18, you're going to do to your 35. That's the paradigm. The next choice that you get, you realize, shit, I don't like this lifestyle anymore. I want to go be an underwater welder. Go do that. But go do it. Don't stay in this other lifestyle trying to go over there. 100% turn right and go. And those are great things that people don't understand. And uh, it's just certain truths that all humans have those two places to make decisions. Tom Shea, everything that you said has been spot on. It's been very true. It's For a lot of people, it may sound not fuzzy or warm, but the reality is in the real world, there is no room for a bunch of people that are trying to placate to your emotions or sugarcoat things. If they are trying to, it's because they're trying to sell you something or they're trying to recruit you into their whatever their scheme is in the process. Yeah, that's a, a whole other reality of uh, emotions have very little value to human beings other than to calm you down or excite you, but it doesn't help actions. 
emotions are not things to rely on that make you move the chess piece, so to speak. And they're not sustainable either. Yeah. Yeah. And they last as long as the emotion lasts, which is like the weather. They change with the weather too. Passion changes with the weather. So you have to be really good at turning it back on. I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. It sucks. I suck. Okay. I like it. I like it. And that's how that, that really supposed to roll. You're supposed to engage it yourself. Supposed to feed it yourself, not be fed by anybody else. You have to go seek it out, right? If, if we're not trying to, to go seek it out, Hardship will come to us one way or another if we're not getting ourselves stronger in the process, right? Mm. So, oh, the hardship is yeah, always yeah, going to be yeah. there. So, whether it be a pandemic, something financial, personal life, whatever it is. So, you have to choose in this moment what can I do now to get myself stronger for this inevitability that's approaching? It doesn't mean you have to have like this doom and gloom attitude, but it does mean that you have to be aware that in the real world, there is going to be hardship that you have to face. And you have to decide now, as you're saying, how do I want to act in the face of that? How do I want to feel after that? Do I want to feel like a failure because I chose to give up because I didn't feel like doing it? Or do I want to feel vindicated and feel like, okay, that was difficult, but I'm stronger because of it. N- nothing in this world makes us, <laughs> they call it resistance training, right? They call lifting weights resistance training because you're getting stronger mm-hmm. at resisting whatever this is in front of us. And the more that we can do that. You're getting stronger at resistance training by making yourself weaker. So if you go work out, everybody's working out. If at the end of the workout, you're as strong as you were at the beginning, you got zero value from it. So the last lift should be, I barely got it off my chest or off the rack or whatever. Uh, The paradigm of of being resilient is that you have to embrace and seek out the things that you're not good at. Not encounter things that suck. That's not the point. It's you have to openly go, I'm not a good communicator. So go figure that shit out. Go do that's uncomfortable. With people that don't like to talk, you got to understand that's about as uncomfortable as you can get. I never had that issue. The other things that are difficult for people are oddly being in shape. It's a difficult process. You know why? Because it freaking hurts. The feedback of being in shape is that you have to eat well. You have to work out. Both of those are discipline. That sucks. Cheesecake, bro. Cheesecake, man. Cheesecake. Cheesecake. I I want to be able to eat what I want. Then you're going to lose at the level that you can't tolerate that. So health is the one thing. Business is uh, an attitude issue. People suck at attitude because business is never working out. It never works out. It never works out. You're never going to get the sale. The product sucks constantly. It never is working out. If you're on a project, the project's never working out. If you're building a home, the fucking thing's sideways. The platform, or the, the the concrete didn't come in. This is that. You get the finished carpenters to come in and make it work. The plumbing broke. So it's always fractional. It's always breaking up. So attitude is the most difficult thing in business to get good at. So work on your attitude. Well, that sucks. That's what I just said. Work on your attitude, bro. Because your attitude is going to make that correct it. 
It's going to make people want to work. So if people come in all pissed off all the time, very difficult for them to do wealth building. Yeah, I do. You know what I'm saying? And relational is being committed to the other human being. That's uncomfortable. If I'm in a relationship, the key to being in a great relationship, it's just, it's their life. You're on for the ride. You don't get a choice. If you can be in a relationship like that, you'll be in one forever. You don't get to choose what they do. I always say the, the analogy is kind of gross. If my wife wants to be a stripper, all I can do is say yes, or I'm going to fight her. It's not up to you. If you embrace what they do, you'll be very interested to know what they're going to do. What are you going to do today? Cool. You need any help? Yeah. Okay. I'll help you. So that's the only way to be in a relationship. You're not there to tell them what to do. And when you can do that, that's great partnership, but it's great leadership. Is don't ever ask somebody to do anything. Ask them what they're doing and then help them. And that's why I think we did well in combat. Is I never asked them to do anything. They told me what we were going to do. Cool. You need help? Here's the missions. Pick five. Pick one of them. Let's do it. I never gave them an order. I just gave them something to do and uh, had to rein them in. I, was, I felt like I was the guy behind them trying to pull them back. And uh, I never had the cheerleader mentality of leadership. Now, people but, people do what you do as a leader. They don't do what you say or what you're trying to tell them to yeah. cheerlead about. It's about what they see you doing. And you dictate the pace of everything. So it, it's a lot in it. The best thing to do is to get somebody to do what they're already doing the best of their ability. And if they're not interested in doing something, it's okay to say bye. The best team that you can have is the one that chooses to be there, not the ones that you're forced to be there. You got to be a big enough leader to X people from that equation. Key in business right now is people are not allowing themselves to fire people. You can fire, fire somebody. You can rehire them. You can always rehire the same person, but fire them. It's a big wake-up call, too. <laughs> Shit, I could, ooh, okay, I better square my stuff away. Yeah, it can happen at any time. Tom, where can we learn more about you, about what you're doing, about where to get your books, about to, to come learn from you, to train with you in person? Well, uh, well, Unbreakable, A Navy Seal's Way of Life. I wrote that book to my kids uh, six year, or eight years ago uh, before I retired. and. Uh, that's up on Amazon. Uh, Three Simple Things Leading During Chaos is also on, on Amazon. And uh, our company, Unbreakable Leadership, like you said earlier, is unbreakableleadership.com. And we do leadership training every month somewhere in the United States. And uh, if you're interested in being the best version of yourself, bring it. If you're not, probably not the right fit. <laughs> and uh, but we are eager to uh, start the, the, this next year. And uh, after we take November and December off, we're always looking for good employees committed to taking November and December <laughs> off. <laughs> Fantastic! It's all good. Thank you. I could talk to you for hours. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the candor. This was a, a breath of fresh air, especially in today's social media and society. And you know, fake media world where everybody's trying to sell you something or put on an air of what they're not or to convince you of something that deep down, if you actually were honest with yourself, you would realize it's probably not true. And uh, 
we need more of these kind of conversations out there. So thank you so much, my friend. It's been an honor. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.